is film like milk. Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm. Damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we talk about film that has possibly gone bad over time in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me as ever is the guy that I didn't really want to cast in the podcast, but I kind of had to because the studio made me, David William Rogers. Hello. Hello. I'm David. <laughs> that's, an, that's an interesting choice you made there, David. Hey, yeah, I didn't want to go. I, it wasn't too big, was no, it? No, no, it wasn't it was too good. big. Yeah, can you do it like? Okay. Can you just do it like, uh, like you know, your your brothers just died. Like just a little bit less. Okay, okay try, try it again. <clears throat> go again. Hey, I'm David. My brother just died. Yeah, that he talked about boobs to me. Yeah. No, that, yep, that is good. It's good? Yeah, I like that. Okay, okay let's move on. because we're, felt more we're losing natural. the kid. We're losing the kid in an hour, so let's go on. Uh, David, hello. Yes. Uh, if you can't, hello. I don't know if anyone can guess what movie we're doing. If you can, <laughs> literally, if you could guess what movie we're doing from that introduction, please email us because I will have a prize for you. Uh, mm-hmm. But David, welcome back yes. to the podcast. And what film are we doing today? The film we are doing today is the TV set, 2006, written and directed by Jake Castan, starring David Duchovny, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Franz Kranz, <laughs> Lindsay Sloan, who I have a huge crush on, Judy Greer, and a bunch of other people. So, yes, yes. very interesting, diverse cast here. Diverse cast, and we <laughs> um, have a very lovely guest joining us in a moment who I will introduce Um But before we do, I will go ahead and take the Mm -hmm. synops on this one. So I like to do them short. You know, I like to do them elevator pitch style. So this movie is about a writer having to compromise pretty much every single one of his creative ideas to see his film get on the air. And unfortunately, I think that this film is pretty close to true to life-ish, I would say. Um, But thankfully, we have an amazing guest to walk us through some of the TV development process. So it is my absolute pleasure. I can't talk, which is what would happen to me in an elevator pitch. I just immediately forget how to speak English. Um, Mm -hmm. Our guest today is Christopher Hazenbush. Chris Hazenbush. Uh, Hello to you, Christopher. Hello, hello. (laughs) This is is not your ASMR uh, podcast, right? No, no, that's a a different one. one. So I won't whisper. Got That's it, the got only it, fans it. one that you actually have to pay like a premium fee for. So, no, this is just our regular film podcast, and I did convince Chris to come and be a part of it, even though he is shitting himself a little bit. Yeah, That's okay. the, the uh, other ones, just the other ones, age like Ambien. That's uh, uh, David the one we'll, we'll get you. Uh, uh, but Chris is this in development. Chris is in development. We met um, as assistants many years ago uh, at two different companies, and we've stayed friends. Chris's resume is pretty impressive. He's currently the director of development at After Portsmouth Productions. He's uh, worked for lots of different interesting places. Chris, you had a prior career uh, at Peter Lenkov's company, which is when I met you, mm-hmm. at CAA, and at a branded entertainment startup called Populous Brands. Um, you are not from Los Angeles, as almost no one is. Lots of transplants. <laughs> you're, exactly. you're from New York, Hudson Valley, not Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. you left your rural life behind for the glitz and glamour of Boston before saying, Boston's not that glamorous, and then you came here. So <laughs> we're excited to have you in the world of Los Angeles. Is there anything super important that I missed out about your 
beautiful pedigree. No, I think you hit it on the head. Let's just uh, jump right in. I'm excited. Okay, great. And also nervous. And nervous. And that's okay because you're a development guy and you aren't used to doing the talking, pitching. Well, that's not true necessarily, actually, because let's talk a little bit about development. Chris, what does it mean to be a director of development? Well, uh, that's a good question. And it's a little amorphous. So basically what I do is try to find, source, and package new projects. So it's a lot of working with writers. It's a lot of reading. It's reading books. It's looking at international formats. It's looking at articles. Basically trying to find the needle in the haystack, the the perfect idea that can turn into something beautiful, a hit show that you know millions of people can watch and identify with, um, you know, and when you see it on TV, you say, oh, yeah, of course, that show is brilliant. But in the earlier stages, it can be very difficult to kind of pull that brilliance out of an idea. And uh, my sometimes difficult job, oftentimes difficult job is to try to do that. Interesting. And so I know that we get a lot of people listening to the podcast who are kind of starting out in their careers. So if I'm a baby writer, which as you know, I kind of am. Uh, what is, if I want to get my material to someone like you, what are the formats or like ways that someone can find my, maybe not quite there yet idea, but you know, thing that is like, I'm like, this would be a great TV show. How do you find these people and these ideas? Yeah, I would say as a baby writer, when you're just starting out, if you just moved here, bright eyed and bushy tailed, et cetera, et cetera, I think most important thing is probably to join a networking group or just to start networking, getting yourself out there, um, introducing yourself, uh, trying to get your script read as much as possible. I think the other thing to do is try to find a manager or an agent because their job is to get your material out to uh, people like me or other production companies or network execs um, or studio execs uh, so your script can be read and people can love you uh, and can pay you money for your script. Uh, you don't <laughs> but die of starvation. That, yeah, exactly. Or you will die. That's a, it's, it's very binary. So the majority of the scripts that get to you, would you say that comes from an, uh, a writer's agent manager? And like, mm-hmm. what's the percentage of scripts that probably get to you that come from, you know, someone that's just networking that maybe doesn't have an agent and manager? Um, the vast, vast majority of scripts that come to me do come from managers and agents, relationships that I've built over the years, um, agents that know my boss uh, or know the projects that we're working on and are reaching out to try to get their clients in for something that we're developing or just want, um, want you know, their client to be known to us. Uh, the, um, you know, I do get a few people that, you know, I meet at networking events that I read their script and they'll reach out to me directly. Um, but for those writers, I really gravitate more to more towards people that kind of have lived a life before, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm, uh, I, you know, I was a writer in Canada and I moved here, or I was an attorney and I moved here. Or I was a I pirate was... on the high seas. Yeah, exactly. Robbing yeah. <laughs> ships. And, and you're like, you know what? That sounds interesting. Let's, uh, let's go. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm reading five pirates, uh, prior pri- uh, pirate <laughs> scripts right now. Yeah, yeah. Pirates, uh, pirates are so hot right now. Oh my God. Uh, Taika Waititi's yeah, yeah. got a new show coming out called, uh, this flag means death. Everybody's just, everybody wants pirates. So if you're a pirate yep. out there, 
you might be able to get a meeting with Chris, actually. So. Yeah, I yeah. think Pirates of the New Zombies. Oh. I'm going to go ahead and say that. So is that just a, like a reoccurrence? Because you had all the Pirates of the Caribbeans. Um, There's Black Sails on Stars, which is a great show. I think Paris, the show you're talking about is probably a comedy. Yes. Right? So that's a new take, at least, on the pirate Well, hang on. I don't know genre. if Chris was joking that he's reading Five it Pirates. It was a complete Chris. joke. I was not reading Five <laughs> Pirates. Uh, because aren't they, <laughs> aren't, they remaking, aren't they remaking another Pirates of the Caribbean right now? Very probably. Probably. Like we, probably. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But, but what's what's funny behind the joke of what Chris said is that it is it does feel like an because I, uh, my day job is also kind of in development and it's interesting to see the swings and roundabouts of the themes that people kind of tap into. Like Chris is saying, like you get, do get a lot of like zombie movies or like you'll get like an amazing, you know, movie parasite. And for example, and then suddenly there will be like all these other ideas that kind of come out that are sort of similar, I feel like, or now is that like on the business side, would you, would you say Chris, because like ABC will have a show and it might be hit. And then you'll see another network with a very similar show that they're trying to push on that competition side. So is it like some network takes a chance on like a genre or a theme, it catches fire, and then all these other platforms and networks are trying to catch up and do something similar? Does that happen a lot? Uh, it does. Yeah, that's typically what I see. You know, it, oh, everybody always kind of wants to find that next version of, you know, insert show here. Um, this you is know, us. I, uh, I, yeah, I work on a party, show yeah. called This Is Us. Everybody. Mm looking for the next this is us I that think was when... very successful right and exactly, wasn't exactly. isn't there and another network show that's similar to that like isn't that like a million little pieces pieces is that similar things is, is similar things. Um, you know who yeah. you know who i just i just touched base with david was lee shorten and he has a little guest one of our previous guests just got a little part on that show so i'm very excited to see him there on you there. go lee shout Fantastic. out to lee we love yeah. he was saying he couldn't really talk about what he was doing so yeah we'd mm-hmm. love to see it but Yes, to your point, Chris, it's sometimes it feels like businesses are reactive rather than proactive. But like we see in the film, the TV set, which we're going to talk about in a minute, sometimes it seems like it's just what they need to fill the slate, fill the slot. Obviously, that's broadcast, which is different, right? Uh, Yes, the broadcast element process is slightly different than what you'd see on a streamer. That's a bit more... Uh, creator driven you know you can kind of have your specific take on something you know like Noah Hawley on FX or you know uh, even you know you have Shonda Rhimes going from ABC you know to Netflix and she's able to kind of create something that and she's is different than what she's she's done right like she's a brand Mm -hmm. so she's transcended now She's not um, the guy that's trying to pitch Wexler's like Wexler Chronicles she's got (laughs) lots of different shows right Exactly. Yes. She's paid her dues. She's paid her dues. So that's interesting. So, I mean, you can speak a little bit more about this, but also a lot of production companies have, you know, specific mandates of what they're looking for. You're, Although you say that you're looking for a needle in a haystack, I feel like you're not just throwing shit at the walls. Like you guys obviously have something quite specific that you're looking to add to your, to your slate because it's not easy to get a film or a TV show from conception to on the air. Right. Um, I yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of it, at least in my little niche of the industry, is really paying attention to you know the quote unquote brand of the creative. You know, what have they done in the past? What and how does that relate to whatever project is that you know we're bringing to our studio partners or to a network? And I think that's something to look out for. Obviously, 
passion and storytelling are first and foremost. But in terms of, David, as you're alluding to before, the business side of things, it, it is important, I think, to at least be aware of that. If you know, even when you're looking at, you know, Jake and, and Judd Apatow from, you know, produce the TV set, you know what they're, you know what they're delivering. And it would be a little weird, you know, I'd be interested in it, but it'd be a little weird if, you know, if, if Judd did, you know, like a space Western, for example, you know, like but, it, but then it, I think there's always like exceptions to the rule. Like I'm thinking of, uh, get out, for example, you know, written and directed by someone who was a comedy sort of superhero and now he's pivoted into like horror right so it does happen but you're yes, saying absolutely the brand like this feels right for Judd Apatow this film yes I would say so and yes there's always exceptions to the rule and I'm always you know for breaking those rules or bending those rules as much as possible that's what's fun about this industry that's what's unexpected about this industry um, but you know I think uh, in the day-to-day as you're going through and building that career, building those show shows after shows to develop, uh, it is something that everybody keeps um, in the back of their minds as we're developing. So David Duchovny's character gives up uh, Mike. He gives up a lot. It's like a death by a thousand cuts, uh, right? On his vision, yep. his it's passion slow, for his. It's a very slow. <laughs> and he's like, the other one is a, fro- a frog in a boiling pot that doesn't realize it's about to get boiled as the heat yeah, gets hotter and, and hotter. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's like uh, a linear progression, like with his back pain. It just keeps yeah. getting worse and worse throughout this movie. Yeah. So does on the business side of things, do you see that often where it's like, hey, creative. Maybe the brother doesn't kill himself. She's hey, like, creative. Like, Hang on a yeah, second. That's the whole premise Make it the, the mom yeah, died. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, creative, can you just tweak this a little bit? And shoot, we'll shoot it both ways, like Sigourney Weaver was saying, the executive. Does that happen uh, a lot? I would say it it. It does happen, yes. I think what happens in the movie is obviously very exaggerated for comedic effect, but I think that there is definitely truth in that. You know, you definitely get those network notes um, that maybe try to take the bite out of a lot of characters, try to kind of round the edges off, um, you know, uh, taking those peaks and valleys that might make the character unique or the show really unique and they try to you know try to hone that in just slightly uh so it fits more in with you know what popular shows are doing or how popular shows are perceived by their audience and um that is uh sometimes you know uh, a note that does come through absolutely is that a lot Oh, go ahead, I was going to say Sigourney Weaver's character says, original scares me. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's obviously like exaggerated, but I think yep. for a lot of writers, it's like, you know, I watched this film with Scott, my partner, and then, you know, he sort of turned to me and he said, we played the what if game. He's like, so what if you, you know, you sold a show, which is like obviously the dream to get paid to write and do what you love. Uh, but you had to change X, Y, Z. And to me being more of a practical person, I was like, you know what? Like, I don't, I mean, I have artistic credibility and integrity, but like, do I, at the beginning of my career, I'd be kind of like, you know, unless it was something offensive, I'd be like, fuck it, let's mm-hmm. go. You know, like, you gotta get yeah. going, sure, the get, mom's dead. Sure. Yeah. Let's na- change the name. Sure. Let's cast this dumbass. I mean, what ends up happening in the film and total spoiler alert is the show becomes ridiculous, like garbage, like so <laughs> yes. from hard jokes yeah. and yep. it's uh, completely just transformed. Yeah. Whipping with the, with uh, her butt when she turns around yep. with more yeah. sex appeal. Yeah. Um, 
But so, like broadcast compared, to like a network compared to, say, Netflix or Hulu, would you say that it's probably the network's going to ask more changes than like a Netflix? Because I would feel like they can put that stuff out with more edgy characters and they don't maybe necessarily have to round out those edges because they have such a big platform where they can put multiple different things out. Um, yes, and while I don't have as much experience in that in developing in the streaming world and the Netflix world, I will, from what I've heard you know, anecdotally, I will say that uh, the short answer is yes. However, I think recently with Netflix and with I think a lot of these streamers too, they're focused on their algorithms. They're mm-hmm. focused on what do the what do the users want? What are they what are they what are they watching? And now they're trying to kind of cater to that. You know, I think there's a few examples where Netflix, you know, put together their um, their their anecdote, their uh, or their uh, algorithms, mm-hmm. and they said, okay, we want to get more people in this age age range with this type of character, and kind of uh, you know lo- are looking for that same kind of thing. It's, and it's that- basically what we're seeing in this film where she's got like, obviously it's slightly different, but like in the film, she has a board and she literally has pieces of paper and she's putting, and they know what they're up against. And I think the stream is now, while there isn't a specific time that people sit down to watch a TV show, like if they know, if Netflix, for example, knows that HBO Max is coming out with the reboot of Sex and the City, now maybe they're more interested in pushing out a certain like show in the same month to kind of compete with mm-hmm. users, right? Like we've shifted a little bit, but it seems like a lot of the challenges and a lot of the solutions are similar. You would you would hope that Netflix keeps that kind of edge though, because they have such a big platform where they can do the sex in the city thing to compete against HBO Max and do the edgy thing. Yeah. A, a network has to like the schedule on the board, you know, slut wars on Wednesday nights. My favorite show that never got made. Exactly. Well, I'll so just watch too hot Netflix to might pick it up. I mean, yeah, it that's, is basically too hot to handle, yep. to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hopefully they, they keep that. And Netflix is actually struggling like this last quarter because of all these other um, streaming services picking up steam, like Apple Plus well, is amazing now, HBO yes. Max. Showtime has Yellow Jackets, which has had a lot of buzz, which I, mm-hmm. I don't have. It's a fantastic show. But again, like I think what we forget about, I think what we forget about, and this is me being totally jaded, about TV and streamers and all of this shit, because we are all creatives, right? And we dream yes. of creativity. But on TV, and in this movie, we see that it's, really driven by ad dollars right well we because there's even a scene where he where they're doing the board and he goes well they're gonna get you know this and this and this for that show but we could get like insurance companies and like you know like they're really the over 35 crowd and then it's the same with netflix and stuff although they are you know positioned as entertainment companies amazon has its tv and film arm they are subscription-based companies. The mm-hmm. way that they make money is signing up new users. And what we're seeing right now with streamers is that they're hitting a ceiling, right? Like every people have like signed up for blah, blah, blah. If you're like me, you don't get Paramount Plus and you don't get Showtime because you're like, I've got every other fucking thing, right? But then it's like, do I cancel this one and get this one? So it's we're going to tap out. Like I think people who have access to fast enough internet to get this, like a lot of people do have, you know, streaming so it's, yeah. it's interesting 
I, I, that's exactly right. And I would say that is why you're seeing the Netflix of the world and you're, so, you're seeing this with, with every streamer now. They're a little behind the ball. Netflix was always there first, but expanding internationally, having what's called international co-productions where they are setting up shop all around the Latin world America. and creating Latin America, yeah, Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. you know, Asia, Korea is a big one, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to create original content in those regions. Mm-hmm. So that they can build up an original slate and sell subscriptions around the world. Because Paris, as you said, we are kind of maxed out here in the States. And it kind of reminds me to bring this back to broadcast of like the distribution model, where when a show became would become a hit, typically, historically is when you get to about like 100 episodes or so, you know, then you can either sell it abroad to other cable outlets or satellite companies or you sell the format and you remake a show in that region perfect example is ghosts on cbs which is getting a lot of buzz on twitter right now um but it was originally a bbc show the uk version the office is always going to be one that i come back to you know like instead of just packaging the british version they made a a new american version which outpaced the british version right like it's so fascinating to see that. And it is, it's interesting because it is a two-way street. We output a lot of TV and a lot of formats. Uh, I think the biggest loser was, you know, had versions all around the world um, as an example. But, you know, we are, to your point, Paris, bringing in a lot of foreign TV formats and uh, remaking them for an American audience, for yeah. better or for worse. But I would say with The Office... Well, it's up for debate, but, so, you know, possibly Yeah, we'll better. see how the competition pans out because you got these monster companies like CBS with their, like, plat- streaming platforms. A lot of these people are moving towards streaming services. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, Peacock. like, these, mon- these companies, these parent companies that oversee all that, and they have the blueprint from Netflix, mm-hmm. and they might be able to do a little bit more. I mean, so it, it'll just be interesting, like, the next five years to see who pans out who stays afloat and if any other ones take off really. It's funny. Uh, yes, to, I, David, to, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. To bring it to, no, to bring it back to the film. Um, they do, this is what 2006. They do mention Netflix in this movie, but it's the yes. old Netflix where you actually had to get mailed get a DVD. Judy Greer uh, has never seen her character has never seen taxi driver and he's like horrified. <laughs> agent. But yeah, let's, yeah, like, Let's let's talk about the film a little bit. So we got David Duchovny, we got Sigourney Weaver. I mean, this cast is really cool, um, especially when you watch it and you see people like uh, one of the executives is the guy from Sex and the City. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just like a funny, like fun cameos. But was there anything that stuck out to you guys immediately that you were like, well, this feels a little bit aged? And by the way, I don't have booty sweat, but I do have a ginger beer. So I'm going to... Ooh, you back on the sauce? No, this is just a ginger beer. Oh, ginger beer just... by itself. We're, David and I, gotcha. David and I are both like trying not to drink so much alcohol because of the podcasting world, you know, and you just have like a few drinks, and then lo and behold, <laughs> you've wasted like four it's times. Four nights a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're a full blown alcoholic. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not a problem. Um, but no, what what is something that just jumped out at you specifically, Chris, when rewatching this film? It's a good question. I um. It's a very small thing, but I'm kind of attuned to it. It's just, uh, and it has nothing to do with the process, but it is the technology. Just seeing like the old TVs, mm-hmm. flip phones, and to me, you know, in the day to day, everybody being attached to their smartphones, 
having access to anything online, being able to email uh, when you're on set or when you're, you know, in a room, uh, you know, everybody like, you know, kind of uh, sneaking glances at their phone, you know, you didn't really see that. And that was um, very interesting to me. It takes me back to when I first watched it as a college student um, when I was taking a history of TV class. And, uh, you know, it's kind of my first four. I was also interning uh, here in L.A. and uh, kind of was taken back to, <laughs> to that period of time where if I wanted to go out or to a restaurant, I had to physically be at a laptop to look up the directions or the hours or any, you know, things like that. Um, uh, so that, that definitely popped out at me first. I think I saw one of the OG Mac computers in David Duchovny's garage. Mm-hmm. You remember they had all the oh, different yeah. colored ones, the yeah. Uh, desktops? Yeah, yeah. We had those like in my grade school. There was one in his garage. I was actually looking up flip phones yesterday uh, for personal use. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they're I, making I, a comeback. Was, they're like they are making a comeback. And there's like, you know, like shitty $80 ones. I was thinking just to get, just to have, so only people could text me or call me. Because I constantly am picking up and I'm on my phone. So it'd be yeah. nice to like just go out and I, I can get calls or texts, but I can't surf or check social media. So I still may do that. So that's a, oh, that's that's a valid point. I feel yeah, like that I would mean, last a day and then I would immediately throw it out. I don't know. I don't know if I, <laughs> I feel like I'm too dependent right now. I don't yeah. know if I could do it. So more power yeah. to you, man. Yeah, I'll see, see what happens. I might test it out. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me just like as an actor is how cringe. So like the whole process, they show him pulling up. And that was Franz's character, um, Zach. He's going up against another guy for a lead. David Coveney's like, oh, he's not even in the other guy's like universe, stratosphere. And he's like, hey, man. And David Coveney turns around. He's like, oh, hey, what's going on? And then going <laughs> to that room and he's trying to think of what choices he's going to do. He's like, don't go off script. They hate when you go off script. And then he just totally goes big and everybody in the room laughs. And it was so like cringy to me because that actor is so good at playing like a bad act, a bad actor, basically. Especially on that funeral scene when he does it very sweet and sincere <laughs> in the so rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And then they go to uh, they go to shoot it and he does like the accent and everything like that. And it's just so funny because obviously as actors, you're preparing something, you're going to have like either bad takes or like that felt awful the way I tried that. But at least you tried it. So I, I thought a lot of that stuff was cringe to me, but it was geeking me out the way he was able to do that. Uh, absolutely. Also, love that he was so arrogant about it too. He wasn't really taking any <laughs> notes or trying anything. He was just, <laughs> you know, so in his head about it. You know, he was like a diva, and he didn't earn that diva yeah. at all. I thought that was really funny. Oh, I love acting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that felt great, <laughs> didn't it? And they're like, "No, man, that was. Why didn't you do it like the rehearsal? I don't even remember what I did in rehearsal. Yeah. I, I can't oh, say yeah. I won't do it again, but I might. I might do it. And then his character <laughs> arc, he's in like a a 92 Corolla. And then he's like, yeah, maybe I'll buy that Jetta. And at the end of it, he's smoking a cigarette waiting outside of, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Lindsay Sloan's house. And he's smoking a cigarette. He thinks he's like just the man. And he's like, no, it's a lock. My agent said it's getting picked up. He's so Uh, creepy. I find him so (laughs) unnerving. Like he might just like murder everyone on set. You know? (laughs) Oh my God. It's, It's so funny. Just, 
thinking uh, uh, I felt embarrassed for him, yeah. you know, so he did such a good job at playing kind of like d- doing those cringy takes and yeah. those choices that uh, I was feeling for him. 100%. He would definitely get me too if, oh it, was, God, if sure. it was today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing that, that stuck out to me a little bit was um, just the women in the film. Obviously, I'm always sort of watching them. I think Sigourney Weaver's character, although we're supposed to like really hate her as this like executive that's just, you know, showing her daughter the stuff and that's how she's making decisions you know and Mm -hmm. and just you know trying to make everything sort of so like you said earlier like taking the bite out of things and well what if the brother didn't die what if it was the mother like people don't like suicide um but the the character the character that plays opposite zach whose name you just said and i've totally forgotten it Lindsay sloan right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she's in the the trailer getting fitted and she's so concerned about being sexy because she's been you know the last few years she's been the best friend and typecast typecast, and now she wants to be the sexy one and then not too sexy and she's going to a funeral that's what's hilarious about that whole scene is that they're debating <laughs> what is sexy but not too sexy and then even uh Sigourney Weaver's character Lenny the the executive she's like she's sexy but in a cute way like everything is just so I don't know like the way we talk about women in this film I mean I feel like it's it's real you know I, I, maybe not as much now post me too but it's like just the concern of like even like you said David the the trailer that they make at the end where they zoom in on her ass and it's like Pow! Like, yeah. <laughs> like, really? And then Slot Wars. Yep. She was my favorite in Slot Wars. She's going to have a big career, you know? Like, What, is she, what does she say? She's the next... Um, Common Electra. What did she say? Uh, Lucille, no, she said she's the next Lucille Ball. Oh. Oh. Not a lot of diversity in this. Uh, no, no. Like, uh, yeah. And you None. had... You, you had this this is Hollywood. Like you could have had so many different roles that a minority could have played and and crushed, right? Yeah. Like you could have had um, Richard, the UK yeah. executive, that could have been anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could have had Judy Greer, which Judy Greer did a great job as Alice. Oh, but you could fantastic. have that. You know that could have been anybody. I love but, Judy Greer for sure. But yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, very white cast, right, David? Yeah, the director, the cinematographer, any of those, the AD, mm-hmm. who was funny. She kept just harping on, we're going to lose the kid. We're going to mm-hmm. lose the which kid. Is literally what a lot of ADs do. They are just, the, you know, I mean, their job is so important and they are timekeepers on set. And it's like these, the director even, um, what is his name? Willie Garson uh, from Sex of the City. He's like gets this crane and like follows a homeless man on set like this actor and then you don't even see the main <laughs> character talking he's like that was good and then David Company's character is like I, I'm just do you not feel like we don't know who's talking and the guy's like all offended and butthurt about yeah, his artistic like vision yeah. yeah like everybody wants to use a dolly I think that is a bit of a, a funny trope not even a dolly the crane, oh, the crane sorry the yeah. cinematographer yeah. Hutch he wanted to why can't we just use a dolly yeah <laughs> he's he's the voice of reason on this this mm-hmm. you know incredibly incompetent set. Let's talk about Ian Grufford, who played Richard McAllister. So he's this like Wonder Boy British executive that comes in and is you know is sort of like coming in on a golden cloud where he was able to turn the BBC around and like blah blah blah. And he's known for like his great taste, and he immediately compromises all of his taste to fit into America. And what's sad about his storyline is 
you know, he has a wife and son who move out here with him from the UK and his wife leaves him. And it's very sad, right? Like he's working so many hours. I don't know about you, Chris, but I found that just a little bit tragic because even where I'm at in my career right now and David knows like I don't have a lot of free time. You know, it's it's a constant grind and mm-hmm. it's stressful to think about, you know, like at the end of the day, like family is the most important thing. And and this guy just kind of like lets her leave and he's telling his boss, Lenny Sigourney Weaver, that she left him. And she's like, I myself am between marriages and she doesn't yeah, care gonna, at all. Lenny, yeah, exactly. Lenny is not family first. No. She has that scene telling David Duchovny about a near death experience. And then she says, so, yeah, why can't we win Thursday nights? Right. And he's like, I thought you were going to say like your daughter or something like that. And no, she almost died. And she's like, it just makes everything so clear. And she's talking about work instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she was talking to, well, I think she was talking to the BBC exactly. Oh, yeah, you were sorry, you're right. But, you know, to your point, like that arc, though, of him, you know, kind of being crushed by the machine, the beast, if you will, is it really is tragic. And uh, it is really can be very hard, especially, you know, Paris, you and I and David too, you know, we're all up and coming. We're all, you know, pushing ahead, trying to make our mark in this town. And, and there is kind of an arms race, you know, like I know that if I'm not working X amount of hours in a day, someone else is, and someone else is, is learning and growing. And it, it's hard to turn off. It's hard to turn off the brain, especially when our creativity stems from from life, from, from living life, you know, everything so can it's like be if you a don't, story. If you don't live your life, if you just are attached to the computer, you're not having new experiences, right? Like that's exactly, that's what I always think about. I mean, uh, family is so important. And I, and I think I've been very fortunate to work for a company and for a couple of guys who family is so important to them. Right. And, it, but I, I agree with you, Chris, it, it's hard because it's like, you know, my daily routine is oftentimes getting up at like five or six because that is the time that I have for myself, which is to work out or to read a book or whatever and just kind of enjoy my life before the phone starts ringing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sad because then you, you – the, and guys, the people listening, this is just the reality of L.A. Like you feel that hustle. You feel that pressure. I say I probably work or I'm doing something until maybe like 9 p.m. every night and then it's literally like, you know, have a shower and go to bed. It's It's sad, but that's – that is how it is. And and I feel like we always tell ourselves like, well, just, I'll just get through this busy part. Like I'll just get through production or I'll just get through, um, pitching <laughs> season or whatever it is, you know? Right. Yeah. But it's, it's not sad if, if it's something you love doing totally. and you're pursuing what you want to do. Agree. So like you gotta, I feel for the, the guy who loses his wife yeah. or she leaves, but you gotta be really upfront and honest with your partners or who's going to be around you. Like, this is what I'm doing. And I, you got to make sacrifices in some industries to be successful. And this is what it's going to take. Sometimes I'm not going to be readily available. And I, like, I'm doing this. This is what makes me happy. I'm going to be happy with you. But sometimes I'm going to have to sacrifice our time together. It's true. To, but I think, to take this. I think David Duchovny's character and his wife have like sort of a more balanced, uh, I don't know if it's because she's sort of in the industry, but that storyline with his character his wife is having their second baby and she's got a kid and it's clearly pandemonium at their house, right? Like this mm-hmm. shit everywhere. But, uh, and he's sort of like, you can tell he wants to push back against some of these notes that he gets from the executive, but she's kind of like pointing at her massive stomach and being like, look, we've got, it'd be really sad mm-hmm. if this, if this went away. Right. Like, 
and he has a moment um, when he gives up something. I think he sees his wife and the baby, and he like they pause for a second, and he has those internal thoughts like, "Yeah, I got to make this work for my family." And so he will compromise a little bit more and a little bit more. Right. And I think you know you guys are both hitting on this, and we brought it up earlier. But the central you know question of this movie is how far will you go? You know to compromise your vision for your family or for your own well-being and i think you know with the with the execs and with david nicovny's character mike stein he you know they're both doing that in their own ways but they have different results you know yeah. and i think uh it's you know and i'm not trying to be bitter here or or, or anything like that of course you He's know so it's all passion but i should see his face <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, when, when, when trying to find that balance of, of how to live a life in this town, I think, uh, it has to, you know, the, your partner has to kind of be on board in a way, um, has to understand what you're doing, understand, um, that this isn't a typical nine to five, you know, but we're in it, David, as you said, because we love what we do. We love creating story. We love, um, you know, crafting these ideas and, and finding these, these incredible projects and working with these incredible people. And, um, you know, I, I just feel bad for the wife in this movie too, because, you know, she kind of didn't really sign up for it. Um, and I think, you know, so I, she really didn't know what to expect. I do think it also highlights though, the difference between, cause obviously he was probably working pretty hard in the UK too. But I think another theme of this movie that doesn't really get addressed fully head on, but something that I noticed as a foreigner is that the American capitalist society and like the work ethic, it is really, like you said, like work so hard so you don't get crushed by the machine. Like, you know, we're we're doing a couple of um, Australian films coming up and it's interesting, like the way that art is created in other societies, like in America, we are very bottom dollar driven, right? Like it's a very eat or be eaten sort of society. And I'm not mm. saying that the UK is not like that, but I think that's partly why the character of the wife of uh, the executive's wife gets kind of upset like she just she's like my dad's here and like you know they've got a dinner reservation at seven and he's like "Ooh, I've got to go to set like can we push it and she's like are you serious like he's flown from the UK like if you're not in the belly of the machine you don't understand how an hour like can make or break you know your job I mean really that character especially in a brand new job I just feel like he he um, could have said no but it would have made things tense and you know blah 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 there would have been knock on effects yeah, so for his specific situation, brand new job, brand new gig, she's got to understand I need to be into this a little bit more to start with, right? To get my foundation to get set up. Um, so that's that's kind of my take. But Chris, I had a question. So on the creative side for David Duchovny's character, Mike, how much, and this is probably dependent on who's talking to who, but how much pushback can someone on the creative side, a writer, keep pushing back before it's an issue with like a network and they're like, all right, enough. We're done with you. Um, you won't compromise at all. Like how much give and take is there? Or is it like none on the side of the network compared to the creative? Right. I, that's a really good question. I think it, as most things depends on the project. I think it depends on the clout of the writer. Um, and depends on, what the issue is, you know, listen, it, 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 ideally it's, this is a team sport. 
um, you know, when you're kind of writing a movie, you can do it a little more independently. But with TV, you're always there's always a a next step. You know, if it's writing the script and getting that sold, then it's you know getting the pilot made, and then it's getting it picked up to season one, and it can picked up to season two, and there's always you know, maybe additional episodes. So there's always room for tweaking and changing and it should be a collaborative process. So, uh, but I think if you're kind of just starting out as if, if it's your first rodeo, your first sold show pilot, um, you probably have less room to wiggle and you kind of need to pick your battles. If you're a Judd Apatow, let's say, you know, or Jay Kaz, then you, can have a little more sway because you can say, trust me, I, I know what this process is and I know that this will work and you will can push back a little bit more. Mm. I think, but you have to, you know, I hate to say it, but I think you kind of have to earn it a little bit, um, at least in TV, it, well, at least in it's broadcast. Funny, it's funny how you're talking about it's a, you know, it's a collaborative effort. That's just talking about getting something made and to network. What we see in this film is that it's a collaborative effort all the way through. Like even just the fucking random choices that the actor makes, right? Like yes. it's, it's like <laughs> creativity, creativity is not a single person sport. Cause even if you do write a film, which is more, you know, with a, with writing TV, it's like there's a room usually and a showrunner and like, yes, a network or whatever with, with film you can sort of like sit in your dark room and write this feature but guess what by the time someone wants to buy it or put money Mm -hmm. behind it everybody's got a fucking opinion someone's like can we change the name of this character to my daughter's name you know like whatever it is (laughs) and it happens every single day in this town right like I think if I'm a writer and I'm listening to this and this is all like kind of news to me which hopefully it isn't because there are so many resources and people out there who talk about like how fucking hard it is to make stuff. But if I am a newbie, like, let me say this to you. You don't have to compromise on your vision. You can totally go out there and shoot it yourself and blah, blah, blah. But just know that someone may not buy it or may not pay you to do it. Right. Like that. That's mm-hmm. the yes. Thing. Yes. If the goal, if the goal is to get it made, I think my answer is very, is probably accurate, but uh, yes, I mean, you can certainly say no, you know, fuck off uh, i'm gonna do it my way and sometimes that works but a lot of times if you're new it, it might not you might not get that sale the guys at um always sunny shot their pilot on a 200 camera took it to a bunch of different meetings they're like all right here take this reshoot it did it and got picked up Actually, so there's those success stories those, mm-hmm. those guys though in particular they sh- reshot the same pilot like so many times i read a story about them and it was funny, like one of the guys that was, I think it was the the guy that does the milk, you know, the milk guy, or uh, he's in Mythic Quest as well. He's the yeah, he's uh, um, f- like the the weird guy yeah. that gets on drugs. Yes. Yeah, he was supposed to be one of the main he actors, was, but he wasn't there that day. And the yeah the for version the version that they sold was the one where with the like cost that they had because yeah yeah with Mac it was supposed to be mm. he was Mac's character. Yeah, I didn't know that. So uh, one of the creators, and then yeah, that Mac jumped just, in. Like again, like creativity, like it's just yep. and it's also timing too, right? Like Chris, it's, yeah. Chris, I could pitch you the best idea on the world but if you're not looking for that right now and i don't have the resume it's not going to hit but like then we have the same discussion 10 years later and you know it's lightning in a bottle like it could happen so it's so Absolutely. much timing too and switching out the actors like yeah, yeah. If, if he doesn't show up that day yeah. and he you know he was uh, a recurring actor on that show but 
without maybe Mac jumping into that lead role for that character, it might not have get greenlit. I heard stories about agent had a guy cast. He was cast in friends Mm -hmm. uh, for the pilot and like another show. He chose the other show friends gets picked up and takes off. Right. So like, it's like almost as an actor too. If you got two options, you're like, that almost is worse than having the one. Can I just say as well? Like I think about stuff like that. I lie awake at night sometimes just wondering if like, you know, (laughs) like what if blah, blah, blah. Like if you're an actor and, and you're that actor and like friends, blah, blah, blah. Like to me, you have to make peace in this industry with the fact that those paths just weren't for you right yeah it wasn't yeah, yeah. because yeah. like you could you'll lie awake I'm actually going back to sun it's always sunny uh the person who was supposed to play D was Mac's old girlfriend and I read uh, a blog or something she wrote and then they broke up and then so Mac and the three the, the all three guys became producers on the show and she knew like her relationship with him was kind of ending and then she got pushed out and then D came in and I mean again Maybe the show wouldn't have been as successful if this other actress had been there. But mm-hmm. she, you know, and this woman sort of said, the one that didn't wasn't in Sunny, she was like, you know, I met my husband and I had my kid, and like she's happy. Like I think you have to redefine what your level of success is. Like clearly David Duchovny's character in this has to compromise his idea of success constantly. Mm-hmm. He has this beautiful script that's about how his brother killed himself and like it's actually real right he says that at one point yeah yeah and that but there's it sounds like there's some luck involved too though right because seeing like uh just actor's point of view going out and all this stuff you get to the pilot and you're fucking jacked because you might be able to get paid to do the your dream job Mm -hmm. and it's like oh we shot the pilot yes they put a little money into it. And then it's like, nah, we don't get picked up. Yeah. Or you get that pilot, gets picked up, you shoot eight episodes, and then they don't Renew pick you up it. for the yeah. second season. Mm-hmm. And then you just, you know, you can fall out. So it's just... Uh, I'll never forget being on set of a very big movie, the movie Sweet Girl, that I met all these people on. And I was with my old boss and we were sitting there and we knew that we were waiting to find out if his show Daybreak was getting renewed for a second season. And I will, which I like that show. I really loved that Mm -hmm. show actually. And I'm really sad. I'm really sad. It didn't get a second season, but I will never forget. We were, it was freezing cold. I'm on like day 30 of like back to back shoots. You know, we're in Pittsburgh in this uh, hotel and, and Jeff called me over and he goes, I got the email and we, I sat down next to him and then it was a no. Right. And this is a show that this guy had poured his heart and soul into. And that's great. And by the way, he's sitting on a fucking Netflix movie show with Jason Momoa. <laughs> he's okay. But I, yeah. but I think the, the point of this industry and what I loved about this film was like your failures can like you can, and, and Mel Brooks says it in his book, David, that you gave me that I'm reading. Like the failures get harder and harder, but in some ways they also get easier and easier. Right. Like, because hopefully they get like more and more failures. Like, yes, you get to a network series show and then it doesn't get picked up or like whatever. Right. You just, right. Mm-hmm. you just got to hold on as tight as you can and, until the ride's not fun anymore. And Cause that's still making yeah. progress. Yeah. I saw yeah, some writer talking about that today on Twitter, actually like the, the way, she, how far she fell from a higher level, mm-hmm. but she's still getting to these higher yeah. levels. Basically. And the bounce back is like, like a bouncy ball. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I think for me, one of the things I love about this industry is it's, you know, fraught with, with failure and, and luck and, um, false starts, but you can always dust yourself off. You can always find another thing. You can always have another idea. Yeah. Sometimes a failed pilot can lead to another 
successful pilot, can lead to a, a film, can lead to a relationship that grows over years. That's so I point. think it's important in this industry to always, you know, you don't want to have blind positivity or anything like that. Like, like that it has to be, uh, you know, pragmatic. But I think positivity does help us push forward and knowing that it's it's a marathon, not a sprint and a failure today is not the end all be all. Um, and I think those that realize that and keep pushing, keep writing, keep creating, keep networking, talking with people um, and, and pushing ahead are the ones that come out on top. Most definitely. And I think it's allowed, you're allowed to be upset, like in this movie, bringing it back to the TV set, like David Duchovny's getting back surgery and he finds out that they went with the other version because of, so they basically shoot this one scene and they want to shoot it his way. She she wants to shoot it his way and then the network's way. And like, of course, what version are they going to choose? Even he tries to sabotage it. So the network's way is like stupid (laughs) as fuck. And they still choose it. Yeah, on the edit. That was pretty funny. But then he like takes his pills, his back pain pills. And then what I I love about this is at the end of the film he's standing in this ballroom and they're doing like the full lineup or whatever and people are clapping him on the back and like screaming and so excited and the camera <laughs> the ca- camera kind of holds on his face and it's just like and then it kind of like ends and it's like this merry-go-round of bullshit that we are all just yeah. signed yeah. up for so it's know. almost like the end of a curb your enthusiasm episode you could put larry david in that but isn't that funny that that's so i mean it's you know it's an exaggerated version but i think this film is a must watch for people who want to understand at least a, a you know, obviously things have changed with broadcast, but how how a movie goes from an idea or a show, sorry, into <laughs> some guy standing on stage trying to grab his co co star's hand, and she's just like, "Fuck off," you know. Um, but yeah, I agree. Well, I wanted to. I know we're getting close to sort of the end here, uh, Chris. I wanted to quickly circle back and talk about your career, and if anybody's listening that's interested in getting to the de- to be in the development world, like if there's any advice that you could kind of share? It's a good question. For the millions of people listening to this right now. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I'm, David I'm and I would be sponsored by yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, Canada Dry, the most yeah. delicious <laughs> ginger beer they have. To get all the Australian brands to sponsor this. Yeah. Um, when I first moved here, uh, I, I was a little lucky because I had I would say if you're if you're in college or if you're in high school and you're really young and want to get in, I, I would highly recommend trying to get internships. Um, they will really, you know, you're doing shit work. You know, I think it's probably changed a little bit since I've been since I was an intern and, you know, grabbing coffees and organizing files. I think I literally had to, you know, organize scripts in a big uh, filing cabinet, you know, now with everything is digital, but, um, uh, having those internships, if you do them well, if you meet with people, if you knock on doors, if you ask for informational interviews, you know, you'll have those contacts. And now with social media, it's so easy to, you know, connect with people, follow people. Um, and then when you do get into town and you're starting to find, your, your way and you're trying to find your first gig, you can use that as a seed to build your network. You know, maybe you take them out to coffee when you move to town and ask them, you know, who, what should I be doing? What skills should I be working on? Who, who should I, who should you, who can you introduce me to and, and start building out, uh, your, your, your people, your 
you know, network of people that will hopefully help you along the way. Uh, so I would say starting from that is, is really important in terms of development, uh, you know, read scripts, you know, understand story structure, think about, even if you're not a writer, think about story as a writer, how would you approach a story? Uh, think also very important. This is a little long, the, uh, along the road, but think about how to give notes in the right way that are constructive, um, and uh, and lead to a better product. How to deliver those notes. How to think about it in a way that's that's uh, not um, uh, just you know allowing the writer to fall flat. You know what, what's what's building them up. You know what's making the project better. And thinking about that critically. And it, it is a skill set. But that comes from reading. That comes from doing research um, and thinking about things as a writer. Um, and then I guess the last thing is whatever you do, even if it's set PA, even if it's, you know, the lowest of the low, do it the best you can. Don't have an attitude, be positive, be enthusiastic, um, because people will notice. They'll Even if you're just getting coffee, making sure that, you know, you have a, it's very small, make sure you have a napkin with it or a sleeve or whatever so they don't burn their hand, you know, uh, People notice that type of thing, and they're going to recommend you when opportunities come up, when uh, uh, chances for promotion come up, and uh, and you're never going to burn bridges that way. I think that's some great advice. Yeah, I want is, I wanted yeah. to add as well. I didn't want to cut you off, but um, you know, asking people like who can you introduce me to? I think what makes you you kind of said it at the end there. Like what makes you invaluable? What makes you endear yourself to people is not only asking like what they can do for you, but also what you can do for them. And, uh, you know, if you're starting out and you don't know anybody, maybe you can't like be super helpful, but maybe you are able to find some other PAs to come volunteer with you. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I wrote script notes for you on this. That was one of the ways I got my start as I met a producer and I used to read scripts for him for free and just do like coverage type things. Um, and you know, it's, it's give and take in this industry as, as we see, uh, Chris, is very nice and always lets me introduce him to other executives, but you know, like, and same, same, like he'll introduce me to cool people too. And it's, we're growing our network that way. So it's, it's very, very give and take in this business, I would say. Right. Yes, absolutely. In Paris, I will say you are the master. At I'm really not. I introducing. I met people. someone else. I used to think I was the best at introducing people. And then I went for a coffee with someone. And by the time I had left the elevator of where we were meeting for coffee and got to my car, he had sent 10 introduction emails to really invaluable people. And actually one of those people uh, called me last week and was like, Hey, I've got the script. And I sent it to my boss and he was really excited about it. And so I was like, oh, I'm doing a great job. And uh, that was all from this one guy. But I thank you for saying that I'm good at networking. It is something mm -hmm, I just enjoy. Mm -hmm. I just love introducing people, but, uh, there's actually someone out there that's better at it than me. I didn't realize that was possible. So, you know, you learn something new every day. Yes. But I don't know how I feel about that. But. <laughs> Chris is like, I don't, I don't like that guy. <laughs> yeah, um, well, that's yeah, good. Yeah, Maybe, yeah. you know, it's up, up your game a little bit. Yeah. You don't want to be the best all the time. You want people to push you yeah. up, motivate you a little bit. But I also don't know bit. if I even know 10 people to introduce people to all the time. Like I, like I said, before we started recording, I got like, 20 people that I really care about. <laughs> you know, it's well, just, just too hard to stay in touch with everyone. So. Well, that's very true. To your point, Paris, I, I think it's important to also cultivate authentic relationships. You don't oh, want to be definitely. somebody, 
you know, you don't want to be somebody that's just sending, uh, um, you know, format emails like a robot or setting up robo follow-ups. You know, you, you legitimately be want person. to have yeah. be a person and you want to be, you know, yourself. You don't want to lie to people or lie to yourself, most importantly. And, and uh, you know, you're not going to like everybody. Not everybody's going to like you, but that's life in general. And I, I don't really think this industry is much different than that. So I think those people that you like, it's important to cultivate those relationships in a, in an authentic way. And, you know, for me, at least the goal is to be actual friends with, with people in the industry and not just, you know, using them for different things. I would say that's a reoccurring, um, opinion with people we've had on this podcast that are successful and becoming more and more successful is that they say, be authentic, nurture those relationships. Don't just go somewhere to hand out, hand out cards. This is who I am. Help me out. I'll help you. It's more building with people and developing those. So I would say it's great advice. Chris and I I strengthen our friendships. Like if I know he's looking for something specific, I can introduce him to a writer that, that is like that or something, something and vice versa. He could be like, Hey, have you heard about this? You know, also knowing what people are, how you can, again, it goes back to like what Chris was saying, like how you can make yourself valuable to somebody is also listening and remembering and actually caring because yeah, if you if uh, if you just send your project out to like twenty random people, you're not gonna get. But if it's like, hey, remember when we were talking about the fact that you love David Duchovny in every movie? Uh, I got the script, mm-hmm. you know. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it's about the Wexler Chronicles. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that's absolutely correct. If you're bombarding somebody with scripts that make no sense or just aren't very good, you know, and, and I think it's also important to have an opinion on something, have a point of view on something and say why you like something. And it's, if you're, if you're just passing something along because someone told you to, and you're not reading it yourself and you're not saying, you know, I really do believe in this for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, you know, that can, that can kind of, uh, bite you a little bit as well. So it's important to help people out, but not do it blindly. If that makes any sense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what I wanted to say as well is um, cultivating good taste. You kind of didn't, you kind of said like read a lot of scripts and stuff, but if you are a development person, yes, you, you sort of said like if you're sending people bad scripts, but like not everybody has the same taste, but you can tell if something has something there. And you find that out by reading a lot of scripts, by staying in touch with what the industry is doing. Um, if I, if someone sends me a really poorly written script that has like tons of typos and just like is not good, the next time that person's like, Hey, can I send you something? I'm going to side eye them big time. Right? Like <laughs> uh, you made me read a, and I probably won't get there through the whole thing, but you sent me a 120 page script about like a guy that collects pickle jaws in his uh, apartment. And I, I don't want to read another one of your scripts. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nicholas right. Cage would be in that movie. And you know what? He would fucking crush it because <laughs> kill the, it. the Nick Cage is having a Renaissance and we've discussed that in the past, mm-hmm. but for now, you guys, as we get to the end of this episode, we must shout out someone from the cast or crew, and I will go first to give you a moment to catch your breath. I'm going to shout out Mira Velasco, who was a grip uncredited on this film. I want to say that this is a woman. I don't want to assume, but Mira is a female name that we gave to one of our foster dogs last year. Um, and it's not very common to see a woman in that department. Um, it's becoming more common, 
but I would like to foster more people. The grip department really handles a lot of, uh, what would you say, Chris, like the boxes and moving things around. And yeah, they, they, all the you know, nitty gritty of yeah, production. They really are such a backbone of like, of, uh, of film crews and like, they'll just get shit for you and they just make things happen. They hang up things and blah, blah, blah. So Mira, we see you and we appreciate you. See you and we appreciate you. She went on to work on things like Noble Sun, uh, The Dead Girl, Mystery Woman, Candy Strippers, Gamers, The Valley of the Wolves, um, did a lot of stuff. Looks like her last credit was recently on the Goldbergs and that is a fun show. So I am excited to see that she keeps working uh, she's still doing grip stuff. So that is very, very cool. So yay. yay. Uh, Chris, <laughs> who do you have to shout out? Um, I'm going to shout out uh, an actor, but he is a little uh, under the radar. MC Gainu played Hutch. And David, I think you brought him up earlier. I think he's what the cinematographer or something. Mm-hmm. DP he might or something be the like grip that. or something. Yeah. He's- yeah. But I, I think he's a cinematographer. Yeah. But he's, uh, I think he is because, you know, he's so, <laughs> He's like so competent at what he does, but it's so funny the way he's just, you know, he has his light meter. He's like, ah, shit, five, you know, it's five, six or whatever, you know, it's fucking sun. And I just, I go, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not a production guy at all, but just knowing the pain of being in production, like always changing. And then, you know, he was also the guy that was like, you know, we can do it. Do you really want a crane shot? And he's going to take, it's going to take 20 minutes. And, you know, he's like these fucking guys, they just ask the world. And, and he's, you know, like, you were saying Paris, you know, he's behind the scenes. He's actually doing the thing, you know, he's directing the team that does all the stuff and it's, um, you know, they're, they're the unsung heroes. So kind of mirroring Paris, what you were saying. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, David, who do you have? Okay. So I went with Anya Koloff. Uh, she was the casting director. Um, she's done a ton of stuff. She's got like 108 credits as a casting director and like 24 in the casting department. She worked on like Jurassic Park, Lost World, Air Force One, Serenity. And then recently she's done like Young Rock, um, New Girl. She did casting director for like 144 episodes, Veronica Mars. Damn. So yeah, she's definitely doing her thing. So you know, shout out to you because I thought the casting for this was um, was pretty great, yeah. with, especially with the <laughs> with the actors like Zach, because um, I thought he crushed that role, and I definitely cringed multiple times. And yeah, Anya, I hope to have coffee with you someday just to talk about <laughs> projects and see, you know, like what's a good fit for me yeah. on some of these some some of these upcoming things. But <laughs> Anya, we see you. <laughs> And we appreciate you. We see you and we appreciate you. It takes a village. All right, my Mm -hmm. friends. Well, now it is the time of the title of our podcast where we must decide if this film has aged like milk or not. David William Rogers, why don't you take us away? Yeah. So I'm going to say I don't think this movie aged like milk because I think it is a good snapshot Um of kind of behind the scenes of what goes on with getting like a pilot made. So if you're interested in all this, especially from an actor's perspective, I liked it a lot and I thought it was hilarious and just the journey that it takes. And I love the intro, how they said, you know, they broke down the percentages of pilots that actually get to that spot and then that get greenlit. And, you know, this was the story of one of those. So I I think from start to finish, um, it's just a good, yeah, like snapshot of how some of these projects get greenlit and the executives, all the different people that put 
you know, their two cents in on something and try to move something forward. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I never heard about it or seen it before, but yeah, I'm glad I watched it. Very nice. Uh, Chris, what do you think? I would say I'm going to go little splitsies on. I'm going to say mostly it did not age like milk. Mm -hmm. I do agree with David. It's a great encapsulation of the process and structurally, you know, it has some great arcs. It's comedic, but also, you know, it's tragic at the end ultimately. And I think as a, as a story, as a movie, it's still very funny to this day. Um, I think elements of it specific to the industry, such as lack of diversity, as we were talking about, such as uh, this is before the streaming wars. Mm -hmm. uh, So you're not taking into account the idea that this could go onto a streamer or another and, you know, maybe has other options, things like that. So some of the background of the world of the development process is slightly different. So in that regard, it's age like milk, but it's not necessarily a consequence of fine filmmakers efforts totally and i'm with you chris i think that's what i was kind of gonna say like i think the world we live in with you know the struggles of a creator like that's all very very fresh but the lack of diversity and yeah the way that this guy is not really think yeah i don't know yeah there were elements you kind of touched on it but i think the diversity is one for me and also you know the fact that we didn't have any like non-binary characters or anything like that not saying that like every TV show now on TV has to have that but I think the conversation is there largely where it's not just like the straight white guy and the straight white woman there would be much more depth I think I mean there's still network comedies that are just or broadcast comedies that are just like you know mom and dad and this and that but I think we're seeing even with like the United States of Al which is very much like a a network show that has uh, am I saying that right it's a network show right or is that a broadcast Mm -hmm. yeah network show that you know, we're seeing these ideas and this globalization and and just more fluidity and gender and race and all of this coming in. And I think that's something that this movie doesn't show because in 2006, I don't really think it was much of a conversation. So, you know, we've come a long way. I would say we have. Uh, I would like to, you know, close with a quote that an exec has told me that I love. And it's, you know, that we want to try to pass the mic. And I wholeheartedly believe in that. You know, we want to not just have boxes to check, but you want to authentically tell other people's stories um, and do it in a way that is, you know, still at, you know, a quality that, that people want to watch and connect to emotionally. And, uh, and it's just giving other people uh, a shot to do that. Yeah. Get, you know, let somebody else climbing up on your shoulders. I think that's, that's amazing. Um, Chris, such a pleasure to have you such an interesting in-depth industry chat I think this episode is going to be very interesting for a lot of people. So we'll definitely have you back on in the future if you if it wasn't too scary. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, now I have one under my belt. I would be happy great. to come back. Yeah, you're a natural. Smooth sailing. And yeah. I would say you guys are phenomenal uh, interviewers. Thanks. This was a fantastic experience. So, thank you. Um, thank you for having me on. No, no problem. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, I can't wait to see what we choose next um, with Chris <laughs> as our guest. But for now... That's our show, you guys. David, you should check your fridge. Make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Gross milk is gross. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I think people say that. I don't know if you can subscribe to us. (laughs) Do it. Find a way. Um, And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye for now. See you. See you.